Hello, I'm Dr. Elva Johnston from the School of History and Archives in UCD. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is St. Patrick, the historical man and the popular myth. St. Patrick has been a figure of legend for over one and a half thousand years. And the legend is so powerful that the real man has become lost. I'll start off by talking a little bit about the legend of Patrick. And some of this is going to sound very familiar to you. According to the legend, St. Patrick was captured by Irish raiders sometime in the 5th century. He was taken from his home in Britain in his teens at the age of 16. He was made a slave. He was a slave at Slemish uh, near Armagh. He looked after sheep. Eventually, he escaped to Britain after a series of visions. Uh, because of his experiences in Ireland, he decided to enter the priesthood. He became a bishop and he returned to Ireland. Now, according to some of the legends, he was made a bishop in Rome and he had uh, a papal imprimatur for his mission to, to Ireland, establishing, in a sense, the apostolic succession in the Irish church. Uh, when he came back to Ireland he in, in 432, and this is a date I'm going to return to again because it's quite important. So he comes back to Ireland in 432. He lights the first Easter fire on the hill of Slain. Uh, he defeats the Druids, uh, sometimes very spectacularly. In, in one case, uh, a Druid is, is essentially uh, burned to death by Patrick. Um, he converts the king of Tara. He banishes snakes. He explains the Trinity by way of the shamrock. He founds the Church of Armagh, which goes on to this day to be the uh, primatial or the most important church in Ireland for both uh, Catholics and Anglicans. Uh, and eventually he converts all of Ireland. Now, this is pretty amazing for, for one man and obviously wouldn't have been possible for a single person in their lifetime. Now, this legend is a mixture of truth and fantasy. Now, some of the elements of fantasy are very obvious. Uh, for example, the idea that Patrick banished snakes from Ireland is probably not something which most people believe. Um, on the other hand, uh, elements of the uh, the legend are much less obviously fantastical. Uh, two examples would be the, the foundation of Armagh as Patrick's first church um, and the idea that Patrick was first bishop in Ireland. And these are two points that I'm going to return to in the end. So how can we disentangle the real Patrick from the legendary Patrick? Now, we're very lucky that we do know the real Patrick uh, and we know him largely because he wrote two documents. Uh, these two documents are the first written in Ireland that survive and they're really the very beginnings of Irish history. So from that point of view of alone are extremely important. Uh, they're known as the Confessio or Confession and the Epistola or the Letter to the Soldiers of Caroticus. They're relatively short documents, but they offer us a unique insight into St. Patrick and they're accessible uh, to to anybody as they have never been before. And at this point, I would like to strongly recommend uh, the great website, confessio.ie, which contains very accessible translations of Patrick's works and, uh, and also uh, deals with the legendary Patrick as well. So, as I said, we can disentangle the real Patrick from the legendary Patrick. Now, these documents, while they're the very beginning of Irish history, they're incredibly important. They're obviously not written for 21st century historians. Uh, Patrick, for example, doesn't give us any specific dates. We can establish a sort of relative chronology of his own life through reading the documents, but we don't have any specific date in the 5th century. He only mentions one place name in Ireland. Uh, this is the Wood of Foklet, uh, which 
is near Kilala Bay. Now, incidentally, uh, he mentions this place because it's where he he was a slave in Ireland. And uh, so from Patrick's own writings, we know that he was a slave in County Mayo rather than in Armagh. So straight away, we can see how the real Patrick and the legendary Patrick are at odds from each other. Now, while these documents mightn't answer every question we have as historians now, they do offer us an amazing insight into Patrick as, as a real person. And from that point of view, they make absolutely fascinating reading. So what can we glean from these documents? And uh, what I'm going to do now is, you know, give a brief insight into what Patrick tells us about himself and also touch on where the legendary Patrick and the real Patrick coincide uh, and where they are different. Okay, first of all, Patrick is is a Romano-Briton. What this means is that he was of British origin ethnically, uh, what we would consider Welsh uh, these days, uh, but he was culturally Roman. It's worth remembering that in the 5th century, the Western Roman Empire, while in what turned out to be an inevitable decline, uh, was still very much alive and kicking and culturally was very powerful. Uh, he was born in a place called Banavam Taburnii, uh, clearly in Western Britain, we can't say exactly where. Uh, he tells us the names of his father and his grandfather, but he doesn't tell us the name of his mother, or he doesn't mention if he has any siblings. So he tells us that his father, Calpurnius, is a decurion. A decurion is a type of town councillor, a civic official. His grandfather, uh, Petitus, uh, is, is a priest. The fact that Patrick's grandfather is a priest shouldn't really surprise us because clerical celibacy was an ideal rather than a practice in, in the early Middle Ages and is something that didn't become commonplace uh, in Western churches until at least the 11th century. Uh, he was pretty well to do. He grew up in a villa. He mentions uh, his family servants and the very fact that his father is a civic official tells us that as well. Now, the legendary and the real Patrick are in agreement about some things. So, for example, Patrick was taken as a slave at the age of 16, um, though, as we saw, he was a slave in the west of Ireland rather than in Armagh. He did escape, as the legend tells us. He did undergo a religious conversion. He did join the priesthood, uh, although in Britain, rather than having the continental journeys which the legend gives him. He was inspired by visions to go to Ireland and, you know, he did go to Ireland as a missionary. However, at this point, the legendary and the real Patrick diverge enormously. For example, the real Patrick was actually a figure of controversy in Britain rather than the perfect saint, which is depicted in the legend. Uh, the reason for this, well, there are two main reasons. Uh, one of them is that Patrick tells us that at the age of 15, he committed a sin. And as he says, this was a sin that was committed in a single hour in a single day. Um, cue a lot of speculation as to the nature of Patrick's sin. He tells this sin to his best friend and his best friend uh, basically shatters uh, Patrick's confidentiality and he makes it widely known among the hierarchy of the British church. As a result of this, British churchmen regard Patrick as somebody who should uh, not become a bishop in Ireland. So they seem to have actually rejected uh, his, his wish to become a missionary in Ireland with their official sanction. Um, now, the nature of Patrick's sin at this point, I mean, there has been, as I mentioned, uh, quite a lot of speculation. Uh, 
largely it seems likely that the sin is either something to do with with, with religion, uh, with religious belief, um, or maybe a sin of a sexual nature, because the fifth century is is that period in in a sense in Christian history in which morality and sexual morality become sort of collapsed together as as, as a concept. Um, now the other reason that that Patrick uh, seems to be a figure of controversy is that. Despite the fact that he is rejected by the British hierarchy, he does go to Ireland as a bishop. And Patrick makes the point uh, that, you know, first of all, that this was a sin he committed in his youth and that he is now a changed man. And secondly, that it's God's opinion which he values rather than the opinion of the British church. And if God wishes him to be a missionary, he will be a missionary. So he goes to to Ireland as a bishop. He's probably a self-proclaimed bishop uh, rather than one sanctioned by the British church. Um, and he certainly was not made a bishop uh, by the Pope, as, as the later Irish legend tells us. Now, the other reason that Patrick seems to have been controversial is that there seems to have been some sort of assumption that Patrick was on the take in some way. So, for example, Patrick, uh, in, in, in one of the most vivid sections of the confession uh, tells us how when he is preaching at the altar uh, women in the congregation would throw their uh, ornaments or their jewellery at him and you know he makes the point well I I wasn't taking this Uh, however as we can see in other parts of the confession Patrick does need uh, to pay his way when he travels from kingdom to kingdom in Ireland because 5th century Ireland was not united it was made up of very many kingdoms and he describes how he essentially has to to seek protection. He he pays essentially protection money. Um, however, this idea that Patrick would be taking uh, from his congregation seems to mean something that again w- was used to criticise Patrick in Britain. Though there's no doubt that that Patrick has supporters in in, in Britain as well. Uh, now. Patrick, despite all of these controversies, does continue with his mission in Ireland and his confessio and the the letter do offer us great insights into how he acted as a missionary. So, as already mentioned, he he paid his way from kingdom to kingdom. He certainly uh, made an effort to to convert members of the elite, which which makes sense in in a society which was as hierarchical as 5th century Ireland. Uh, He also focuses a lot on the conversion of women, something which is very much a feature of, of, of early Christianity where, where women as converts were very much sought after uh, particularly because they were seen as having a major influence on the next generation. Okay so Patrick was very successful um, he became a sort of self-proclaimed bishop in Ireland uh, we don't know when he died uh, because you know obviously we have Patrick's documents written by him as a, as a living person we have no contemporary obituary of Patrick. So if we were to sum Patrick up uh, in, in terms of his career and what did he do, well, did Patrick convert uh, Ireland and should he be celebrated as the patron saint of Ireland? Well, certainly Patrick did convert many people and his own testimony, he describes himself as going to places where missionaries had never gone before. Uh, and this is a bit of a hint because it's almost certain that Patrick uh, was not the first churchman in Ireland and he was certainly not the first Christian in Ireland. Uh, I'm going to return now to a date I mentioned earlier uh, which is the idea of Patrick coming to Ireland in 432. Uh, Seems an odd date to choose. Why 432? Well the reason for this is that uh, Irishmen in the 7th century uh, and this is the period in time when the legendary Patrick began to be sort of put together for the first time in, in the form that we know it now. 
Okay, these Irishmen in the in the seventh century, they knew that a man named Palladius, uh, a deacon and later a bishop from Rome, uh, was sent to the Irish believing in Christ in four thirty one. Now, they knew very little about this Palladius and his mission. In fact, Palladius is one of the lost men of Irish history. and But they did know that this was a fixed date. It was referred to in Continental Chronicles and it was something that was known about the Irish church. So what Irish churchmen did was they said, well, uh, Patrick arrived in 432, the year after Palladius, and Palladius's mission was a failure, uh, which is probably unlikely. So that's a completely unhistorical date. Uh, Patrick did arrive in Ireland in the 5th century. We're not exactly sure when, uh, but he would have arrived in an Ireland where Christianity would have been a presence, but certainly by no means uh, the, the major or even a major religion. We can say a few other things about Patrick, however. He almost certainly did die on the 17th of March. Uh, the reason for this is that March the 17th is, is not a particularly significant date in any way, other than being the feast day of St. Patrick. Uh, the reason it would have been remembered is that in early Christian communities, it was believed that the day somebody died was their birthday, that it was the day that they entered in, into paradise, that they were reborn, in a sense, in, in the next world. And in early Christian communities, they would have remembered the date of Patrick's death. So 17th of March is almost certainly true. So at least we're celebrating St. Patrick's Day um, at the right time of year. Um, he's also worth celebrating in other ways as, as a voice, as a unique voice from 5th century Ireland. Uh, he's an incredibly important historical figure and a historical witness. And the real man, imperfect as he is, is much more interesting than the superhero of legend. And he's somebody I would recommend that you find more about.